Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here this week. We're ready to study the Bible with you and we hope you're ready to learn a few things about the Bible and uh, maybe we'll get to your question today. If you're not a regular viewer, that's uh, what we do, is answer viewers' questions. There's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use those any time to get in touch with us and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. You direct the program, and we take questions about specific Bible verses. What's this mean? Uh, maybe a topic or a doctrine in the Bible. You wonder, is that really in there? Or we get a lot of questions about life and current events, and people wonder, what's the Bible have to say about this topic? And we're happy to try to find you a, a, an answer from the Bible. So that's what we do, and Toby Levering's here to help me. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here. I'm Steve Tandy, and we're ready to uh, answer as many as we can today. So call in or log on and give us some more, but we'll get to them as soon as we can. We always give you one first. Today's about Rahab. Rahab in the Old Testament, how did Rahab identify her house for the army? She lived in Jericho and the Israelites were coming. Uh, how did she identify her house so they wouldn't hurt her? Uh, I'll give you the answer at the end of the program, see if you know that one. Toby, you drew the first one today, so let's get yep. started. Yes, sir. A uh, person asked the question, how can you teach the love of God and eternal hell? I don't believe in eternal hell. Well, uh, on this program, our, our goal is simply to teach what the Bible teaches, and we believe that that is God's will and God's ways and God's word, and it is not just important for this life, but for eternal life. I admit, I don't uh, probably, I would probably identify with the viewer in saying, I, I don't like the topic of hell. It's not something that sounds particularly nice to think about or talk about. Uh, but that doesn't make it any less of a reality. Just because I don't like it or choose not to believe in it, uh, God's Word tells us what is true. Jesus said, sanctify them by your Word. Your Word is truth. And so what we read in God's Word tells us what's true, not necessarily what makes us feel good. Now, if you believe in Jesus and if you love Jesus, uh, Jesus was adamant that hell was very real. And he warned several times uh, for us to prepare and, and to do whatever we could to stay away from it. Uh, let's look at the scriptures. And we have all three of these on the screen. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Uh, Jesus says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Uh, three chapters later, Matthew 13, verse 50. 50. Throw them into the fiery furnace in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he, this is the Lord, will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. 
we don't have to read. I mean, that's just from the book of Matthew. That's just three selections there. But, but it's clear hell is a terrible place. You don't want to go there, and you don't. There's no one uh, that you hate badly enough to want to go there. When we really think about the reality of it, uh, it's uh, uh, a terrible, terrible, awful place. Uh, that was the point. God did not want uh, any of us to be there, which, of course, is why he sent his son Jesus, uh, not to condemn us, but to save us, John 3.17 says. Um, so if we believe Jesus, if we believe the words of God and the teachings of the word, even if we don't like it, uh, we have to listen to what is true and not just to the words that we like. So uh, those are some scriptures on hell. It is a reality, and the Bible warns us very much against it. Okay, thank you, Toby. Uh, good, good question here. In Proverbs 8, who is she? Well, if you go after the program and read Proverbs 8, you'll see it talks a lot about she says this, she calls out this. A uh, little introduction here. You have to understand Proverbs. It's called wisdom literature. It's Hebrew poetry, basically. And so a lot of it is in a allegorical form or a metaphorical form and this chapter Proverbs 8 and Proverbs chapter 7 you need to read first to understand Proverbs 8 uh, that's what it does it takes two uh, things uh, wisdom and foolishness and it personifies them uh, personifies foolishness as a wicked woman and it personifies wisdom as a righteous woman. So in Proverbs 8, it's talking about wisdom, and it calls her she. So that's who she is. Now, if you read the very first chapter of Proverbs, it's written from Solomon to his son, and it says, listen to me. Uh, these are things that will help you in life. So that's what Proverbs is. It's, it's encouraging a certain young man or all young people uh, to be wise and to choose wisdom and to do wise things. So that's the essence of chapter 7 and verse chapter 8. Uh, let me read just a few passages from chapter 7. And in chapter 7, foolishness is presented as an adulteress, as a prostitute. And verse 30, 21 says, With persuasive words she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Verse 24, Now then, my son, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Don't let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Okay, that's foolishness. People that get into foolishness, that listen to the pleasures of sin, uh, they get brought down. And then chapter 8, it's wisdom calling out. Verse 1, does not wisdom call out? And read all of chapter 8, and it's this personification, this woman, she, who is wisdom. Uh, verse 12, I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And it goes on and on. So, Two great chapters there that picture the distinct difference between foolishness and wisdom. And Solomon's telling his son, choose wisdom, listen to her. And she's the wise one, and the foolish one's got smooth words, uh, but you get in big trouble following foolishness. So 
That's who she is, wisdom, in chapter 8. Okay, a viewer asked a question. Uh, I was saved, but then left a bad marriage and was with a number of men. If I come back to Christ, would I still be saved? And my answer to that is yes. Uh, uh, there is no sin beyond the reach and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And uh, you said it there, if I come back to Christ, will I be saved? Christ is the only way for salvation. And the scriptures tell us time and again of people who were in any number of sinful situations, engaged in many sinful behaviors, whether we're talking about Romans chapter 1 or 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There's a whole list of people who have been in terrible life situations and um, needed the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, that means repentance. That means changing your life, your behavior, and, and beginning to live as Christ called you to live. Coming to Christ isn't just an intellectual thing. It's a behavior thing. It's a heart thing. It's a transformed life kind of thing. And uh, as I read your question, it sounds very sincere. And I, I want you to know that mercy and grace are available to those who want it, that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came as the great physician, not to the healthy, but to the sick. And uh, the first thing sick people have to do is admit their sickness and want to be well. Uh, there's a story that we find in John chapter 4 that your question reminded me of. A woman who was, uh, well, had been married several times and, and was not married currently. Uh, I'm not going to put this on the screen, but I want to read part of it for you. Uh, Jesus is talking with this woman. They're at a well. Um, she asks for a drink of water. Uh, Jesus says this, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will well up in him, a will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Um, this woman had been through a lot. Uh, she had had um, uh, five husbands, and she was currently living with a guy. It was bad, uh, so bad that she would go out to the well, not at the normal time for going to the well, uh, but at the time when no one else would be there, just so she didn't have to deal with people and deal with her sin and 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 walk in shame. And but as she went there, she met a man who changed her life, and I believe he'll change yours too. So um, the invitation to her is the invitation to you and to any who would be watching, uh, the invitation to receive the living water that Jesus offers that we might thirst no more. So repent, uh, ask forgiveness, turn to Jesus, and you will find mercy and grace. I hope that helps. Okay, thanks, Toby. Uh, let me talk just a moment about it good way to study the Bible. And we appreciate being able to study the Bible for 30 minutes each week. Uh, but you really can't learn a whole lot of Bible in 30 minutes. And we cover a lot of things that are, well, they're not trivial because they're Bible questions, but they're not of utmost importance. And we think studying the Bible by yourself helps you focus in on things that are really important to you and see what God's got to say to you. So we advocate home Bible study. 
and we've got some ways to help you do that if you don't have that habit already. Uh, here's some good ways to get started. We've got one course that we start you with. This one's the Eight Lessons Introductory Course. Uh, just starts with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Helps you understand those two big parts of your Bible. Once you've completed it, we've got some others you can go right into and keep studying the Bible for a long time uh, at your own pace. So you can go a long time or do it really, really quickly, but there's a lot of lessons. And then recently we've added some online courses that you don't have to wait for the postal service to bring you the next lesson. Uh, you can just get right on your phone or your PC or your laptop and uh, take a course and go right through it as fast as you want. So we're happy to help you get started on that. Uh, use that website that was on the screen there or call the phone number or use our website on our screen and uh, we'll get you started on some home Bible study. I think it's a good thing to do. All right, let's see. Churches of Christ. Uh, we mention occasionally on this program that we're sponsored by the Churches of Christ. And this viewer wants to know, why do Churches of Christ call themselves non-denominational? Well, uh, I don't know if our viewer takes issue with that or is just wondering why we do that. Uh, my answer would be we do that because we think we are non-denominational. Um, and the other reason is we want to be non-denominational. Uh, we don't want to be a denomination that separates themselves uh, as a unique thing. We want to be the church that Jesus built. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But that's why we call ourselves non-denominational. Now, if our viewers taking issue with that, I can understand that uh, in some senses. Churches of Christ do seem like a denomination. I looked for some definitions, and here's one definition I found. Let's look at that. A religious denomination is a subgroup within a religion that operates under a common name, tradition, and identity. Well, under that definition, Churches of Christ are kind of a denomination. We call ourselves the Churches of Christ. Uh, we have kind of a common tradition, and we've got a certain identity. There's things we do that are a little bit different than other people. Uh, you can kind of identify a Church of Christ by their practices and their worship and their organization and all of that. So by that definition, I can see why our viewer might say, well, you're not non-denominational. But here's the key. Uh, denomination has to do with a name denominate, name yourself something. So if you pick up the yellow pages, I don't even know if there are still yellow pages <laughs> around, but if you, you Google churches, you can find all kinds of brands of churches. Uh, all of those names, those nominations, are selected to separate somebody from somebody else. Uh, so a denomination means we want to be different than them. Uh, we want to be different than them, so here's our unique name. Uh, Churches of Christ use the name Churches of Christ uh, because that's what one thing the Bible calls the church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Uh, Paul in Romans 16, 16, when he was sending greetings to the church in Rome, he said, all of the churches of Christ salute you. All of Christ's church salutes you. 
So that's where we got that idea was, well, let's just use that because we don't want to denominate ourselves. Uh, we just want to be Jesus Church. So I think that's the key. We don't use that name to denominate ourselves. Uh, we just use it so we can understand who we are and who we want to be. Uh, some of the other differences between Churches of Christ and denominations are we have no headquarters. Uh, there's no place you can go to uh, ask about the Church of Christ. Uh, we don't have any headquarters. In fact, our introductory on this program says churches are autonomous. Uh, that means we're self-ruling. We don't have a headquarters or a government. We don't have a creed written down. We just follow the Bible. Uh, we don't have a hierarchy that you go up uh, to some headquarter overall ruler somewhere. Uh, we don't have a governing system other than at the local congregation. So in that sense, we're non-denominational. Uh, in a little bit, I'm going to uh, recognize some churches that support us, and Agra, Kansas, and Mead, Kansas are the two I'm going to mention today. Uh, they have a common name. It's the Mead Church of Christ. Uh, they've got a common tradition. We've got an identity. We do things a lot alike, but there's nobody that tells the elders in Mead, the church in Mead, that they've got to do things exactly like uh, the church at Northside in Wichita that sponsors this program. Uh, we're autonomous. Uh, we have common things in common, uh, but we consider ourselves to be non-denominational. So I hope that helps, and uh, I understand the question, and I hope you understand the answer. Thanks for asking. All right. A viewer would like to know, can adultery ever be forgiven? My answer to that is yes, it can be. Now, uh, not to go over it lightly, adultery is a terrible sin. It's the breaking of a covenant. It's uh, the wounding of a person, uh, usually more than one, uh, very deeply. In fact, Jesus compared uh, the covenant breaking between he and Israel to spiritual adultery because he wanted them to know how deeply it pained him for people who were in covenant with him to break that covenant. Uh, there can be terrible consequences for adultery. It can tear apart a marriage and tear apart families. Uh, and yet, in spite of all that, I do believe it can still be forgiven through Jesus Christ. Uh, John chapter 8 tells the story of a woman caught in adultery. There was a man involved too, presumably, but he wasn't brought into the story. Uh, the religious leaders were ready to stone her. And Jesus <clears throat> said, uh, let those of you who are without sin uh, throw the first stone one by one they dropped their stones until it was just jesus uh, and the woman left and by the way jesus was without sin i suppose he could have stoned her uh, but he didn't and john chapter 8 verse 10 and 11 is where we pick up that story jesus straightened up and asked her woman where are they has no one condemned you no one sir she said and neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. And uh, I think that's the same uh, counsel I would give you. Uh, yes, you can receive forgiveness and mercy through Jesus Christ. Uh, you need to leave uh, your life of sin. Uh, you leave any sin uh, that you are leaving behind to follow Jesus. But you will find life and hope uh, through Him and through Him alone.
All righty, got a food question here, a diet question. What does the Bible teach about what we can eat or not eat? All right. Uh, when I talk about the Bible correspondence course and show you ways to study the Bible, I often say that that first course explains the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You've got to understand that to understand a lot of Bible questions. So in answering this question about what's the Bible say, about what we can eat or not eat, I'll say it this way. The Old Testament says a whole lot of things about it. The Old Testament talks about clean foods and unclean foods. It lists animals and fish and things that you can eat and you can't eat, clean and unclean. So the Old Testament is full of dietary rules, and some of them are just good common sense. Most of them have to do with the uh, health and safety because of back then they didn't have refrigeration or good cooking methods and certain animals carried diseases more than others and so God said here's some safety rules for you and it also teaches you to obey God but the Old Testament's got a lot of that. Now we aren't under the Old Testament anymore and you'll learn that if you take the correspondence course we're under the New Testament. And things have changed, and the New Testament says, well, I would say it says absolutely nothing about diet, except everything it does say is says that it doesn't talk about diet. So it does say a couple things, but it doesn't give us restrictions. It opens it up. It makes it wide open. We can eat what we want. So let me give you a couple of verses to show you that. Uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 17 and 19, through 19, uh, Jesus said, Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? And then Mark puts in the parentheses, he said, In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So there we go. We're in the New Testament. We're in the New Times. And Jesus said, hey, food can't make you unclean, so no restrictions. Let's look at another one in Colossians 2 and verse 16. And this came about because people were teaching that to be a good Christian, you had to follow the Old Testament dietary rules. You can't eat this, you can't eat that, you can't eat this. And Paul said to the Colossians, let no one judge you about food or drink. Well, that's not an issue anymore. That was Old Testament. Now we're in the New Testament, and food and drink and what we eat and clean and unclean doesn't have anything to do with it anymore. So don't let anybody judge you about that. So what's the Bible say about it? Under the Old Testament law, a lot of restriction. Under the New Testament, the indication that things are freer or opened up, you can eat anything that you want and sounds good to you. Uh, so... That's what the Bible says about dietary restrictions. Let me talk to you just a moment about visiting a Church of Christ. And I mentioned this earlier, but let's mention a couple today. Uh, in Kansas, Agri-Kansas and Mead, Kansas, both have uh, great congregations of the Churches of Christ. And they would welcome you if you live in one of those communities. Drop in and see them sometime. <clears throat> they help us provide this program for you and we appreciate it and we want to thank them and you could too if you live in one of those communities you may know somebody that attends the Church of Christ tell them you were watching Know Your Bible the other day and heard about them and that they sponsor it and we 
want to thank you for that. Uh, if you're looking for a church home, you'd certainly be warmly welcomed at either of those churches or any of the churches in the viewing area. So drop in to visit the Church of Christ sometime. All right, Toby. Okay, we got the question. Is it okay to tell a white lie to those you are close to? Uh, my answer to that, no. Lying is a sin. Uh, God desires us to be truthful in everything we do and in all that we say. You know, we're, they're all, there are many examples, of course, of what we would call white lies, uh, lies of what we might consider to be little or no consequences, lying about your age, lying about your weight, lying on your resume, uh, exaggerating the size of the fish you caught. Um, those are all examples. But a white lie, for whatever reason, is a, 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 an amount of deception. And the question you're asking is, what amount of deception is God okay with? Uh, God's not okay with deception. Those who lie, whether it's little things or big things, they damage their credibility. And in my experience, uh, little things always lead to big things. And so if you lie little bitty things, maybe you add just a, a one little part to your resume that's not quite true, and the next time you're changing jobs, you're well, you know, probably nobody will check it. I'll just put, just put a little few more things on here. Uh, and that just leads to bigger and bigger things. Uh, that's usually the way lying goes. The, the, the small things lead to the, the big things. Telling the truth, however, is not always easy, and it's certainly not always pleasant. Uh, but being truthful is precious to God, and it demonstrates a fear of the Lord. So, Honesty is always the best policy in the little things and the big things. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22. The Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. So I hope that's helpful to you. Be truthful. That's probably the best way to live and to conduct your life in all things. <laughs> all right, a question about angels. Uh, does everyone have a guardian angel? And my answer is, I don't think so. Uh, it's possible, but the Bible doesn't say everyone does have a guardian angel. The idea comes from Matthew 18 and verse 10. Let me read that to you. Uh, Jesus is talking about little children. He says, see that you do not look down on one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. So when he says they're angels, uh, some people read that as, okay, Sally's got an angel, and Joe's got an angel, and Tommy's got an angel, and they've got their own guardian angels. And while that may be true, the Bible really doesn't say that. Angels are, are ministering spirits. And let's look at the verse that says that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 says, are they angels? Not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who to inherit salvation. So it says that angels serve those of us who belong to Christ. Um, but it doesn't say everybody's got an individual one. Uh, so does everybody have a guardian angel? Not that I know of. Uh, Bible just doesn't say so. Let's get our trivia question answered today. How did Rahab identify her house for the army uh, so that they wouldn't destroy her? And she put a red cord out the window. In Joshua 21.8, you can read that. When they saw the red cord, they said, that's where Rahab leaves. We'll save her. Glad you've been with us today. Hope you come back next week. 
until then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.